Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 452. There is no one more boring than a single mark enthusiast. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Paul Kane. Paul, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. I have an auto fluke three-point harness, and that's the engagement (laughs) of the buckle. Very nice. Very nice. I love it when my guests come prepared. Hopefully we won't need that uh, harness, but uh, we'll see. I'll try to keep it out of the ditch for you today. Paul Kane began his career at TRW Space and Defense as an industrial engineer before transitioning to TRW Automotive, working in program management in the early launch of automotive airbag crash sensors and airbag inflators. He was also TRW's Director of Operations for TRW Steering and Suspension in Sydney, Australia, before moving to BEI, Duncan Electronics, In 1999, as Director of Sales, Marketing, and Program Management. He was also General Manager of Peer Sensors and Controls in North America. Paul is very committed to volunteering, and during the Monterey Car Week, he serves as both the BMW CCA Chief Concord Judge for Legends of the Autobahn and as a co-chairman for the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance as a class host. Paul has said many times, came to see the cars, returned to enjoy the friendships. I love that. So, Paul, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Okay. Thanks, Mark. And before we really get started here, Mark, I just want to tell you I am uh, in awe of some of the alumni that you have interviewed, and I'm, I feel extremely fortunate to be interviewed by Cars Yeah, and it's fantastic to be here. Well, you're welcome, and you're in great company. I've had so the Pleasure of talking with so many great people, and uh, now you're part of the club, so welcome. All right. Well, I'm honored. I'm truly honored. So just uh, I've had uh, kind of two separate car life experiences. Cars are uh, an intense part of my life, but my my professional career was in automotive electronics and and my private life and hobby life, restoring European cars. And uh, maybe in the late 90s, 2000, those those two kind of blended together my 
appreciation for OEM, original equipment manufacturer, engineering, those, those components that go into cars built to an OEM standard, using that kind of experience and knowledge in, in restorations and in resto mods. Mm-hmm. And that's my passion, my most intense passion is, is resto mods. And a couple of cars that I've built kind of married together that professional experience with uh, an intense passion for European sports cars. Very cool. Well, I know that uh, Paul Kramer, recent guest here on Cars Yacht, introduced me to you, and he said you built some pretty cool cars, and we're going to talk a little bit about those, I'm sure, as we move through the process here. But first and foremost, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's always a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, you got your harness on, so Paul, take the wheel. Okay, I'm not sure who I attribute this original quote to, but it's as I've gotten older, this has become more important, and I'm not sure if it's L.J.K. Setright or David E. Davis, but there was a quote: "There is no one more boring than a single mark enthusiast." I don't know if you've ever heard that one. Does that sound at all sound? You're the first to to share that quote, but I have heard renditions of that. Sounds like a David E. Davis quote to me. It could be. I maybe, you know, early eighties, nineties car and driver, but in anyway, that one at the time really didn't resonate, but as I've gotten older, my appreciation for many marks and, and through I, I think the Pebble Beach Concord hearing and reading about the intense stories about the the development of these cars, I feel this incredible urge to start experiencing a number of cars. And (laughs) in a nutshell, I'm 57 years old and, you know, I've got maybe 20 years of good driving before I'm going to be a a serious threat to your listeners (laughs) or anybody that's on the Monterey Peninsula with my driving in the middle 70s. So, I you know at it, 57 the clock starts ticking so there there is a lot of cars that I'd like to own for a very brief period in time I, I can't afford a collection so the the strategy is to uh, buy a car and enjoy it and then uh, sell it and take that same pile of money and move it to the next car so I'm in this kind of life car strategy I'm on car number probably four but I've I've owned a lot of cars but there's a very specific list and things that I want to cars I'd like to enjoy and share with my friends you know I like this concept except for the part that we're on a clock here because you and I are the same age and I haven't thought of it that way and I went oh my gosh I better get off my my duff here and and get moving but you know I, I have the same mentality i have a saying that says if it rolls on rubber i love it Mm -hmm. i think the more we go to car shows and you're very active in car shows i know that the more we uh, go to car shows and talk with the owners of cars and learn more about cars and go to events that appreciation certainly does grow and it sounds like that has afflicted you in a severe way that that (laughs) you know probably for for 20 years I've, i've you know poured an enormous amount of time into BMW restorations and, and they're phenomenal cars, but there is a, so much other out there. And, and through the Monterey weekend, it, it's been a broadening experience and, and the clock is ticking, you know, yeah. it, Mark, it, it, you know, every year goes faster and faster. It so. really does. It really does. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your automotive journey. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment as you remember it in your life? When you really realized that you were a car guy? Yes. One of the resto mods that I made was a, a BMW 3.0 CSI. Nice. So in the BMW world, this is called an E9 coupe or just a coupe. 
and I loved that you know that particular shape and I started on a what was I think at the time I told my then girlfriend now wife this is going to be a two-year restoration and you know with good car guy math that that equates to about nine calendar years <laughs> dog years yeah yeah exactly so it, it, from 91 to 99 I, I restored a, a this 3.0 CSI and tried to use that kind of OEM factory engineering approach with this kind of fantasy build of if BMW built a motorsport version of the coupe to commemorate, uh, you know, all of the European touring car championships that the, the coupe, the 3.0 enjoyed in Europe in the seventies, mm-hmm. what would be in that car? So this car finished in 99 and I brought it to what was kind of the, the great grandfather of legends of the Autobahn was the central California's clean car contest up yeah. in Monterey uh-huh. for its debut. And, you know, I had really built the car to my taste. And, you know, that pivotal moment for me was the reaction when people saw the car and, and their enthusiasm. And at that point, you know, not an epiphany, but this, oh, my God, there's so many other people out there that share the same passion for, you know, it's not, it's not a factory build, but, but a certain combination of parts brings emotion out of car enthusiasts. And, and at that point, I thought, wow. This is a big community, and I want to be more of a part of this. Well, you definitely made a hit. I was at that event. I saw your car. We hadn't met. We we really have oh, not wow. met, met until today, but it's an absolutely brilliant, fantastic car. You did such a nice job. I remember that car. I've got some pictures. I believe I took of it as well. I've been going to Monterey for 25 years for that uh, car week. So bravo. Kudos to you. I have a good friend, Bill, who's the listener here in Cars. Yeah, shout out to Bill, the doxter, as I call him. He's a collector, and he uh, just recently bought a beautiful 3.0 CS out of Germany that I think mm-hmm. you would love. I'll send you some pictures of that car. Beautiful, beautiful cars. Yeah, fantastic. Would love to see it. Yeah. So, Paul, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the under the hood and travel down some of the roads you travel down and talk about a huge challenge or even better, a great failure that you faced along the way in your career, your path, whatever it might be. But the more important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you? Okay. In my core career, one of the most daunting, a challenge, I was probably mid-30s, and, and I inherited a position at TRW for launching the airbag. This is first-generation airbag technology, and wow. Toyota was our, was our customer. And Toyota is an extremely detail-oriented customer to serve mm-hmm. in a manner that most automotive guys can't fathom. The, the <laughs> wow. incredible attention to detail and expectations for durability and quality are, are extremely high. And, and I learned this by jumping into the fire of helping launch these automotive programs. I, I inherited a, a series of programs, and, and the challenge was to get these launched into production. And for OEM manufacturers, you have to be on time. You can't be late. Right. And the, the quality absolutely has to be there. And TRW was uh, very well resourced and had a, a phenomenal engineering department. And working with those guys, launching 17 platforms for Toyota Worldwide for what was, for Toyota, a very anxious moment of uh, safety-critical technology that they didn't own. They had to purchase that technology from TRW. So mm. that four-year journey for me of learning the Toyota production system and developing relationships with uh, the engineers in Toyota City in Japan was a fantastic career challenge, an intense challenge where you you really have to pour yourself into it. Mm -hmm. But 
probably the most rewarding in terms of, uh, you know, we were able to successfully launch those programs. So wow. not as glamorous as, uh, you know, restoring the car for Pebble Beach, but uh, <laughs> in, in my career, it was pivotal in learning the Toyota production system. And uh, it's, you know, I've relied on that for the remainder of my career. Oh, I'll bet, you know, and you think back to those times and what has happened in the industry since and how many lives have been saved from that technology is, I don't know if anybody even has that count. But uh, for any of us who've been in an accident where the airbag deployed and you're able to step out of the car with a little sore neck maybe or a seatbelt rash, but you walked away from something that would have killed you before, definitely something that uh, is great to have in vehicles these days. Well, funny you mentioned that. So in airbag technology, I, and I don't have the exact number, but there was I wrote an article for Bimmer on airbag technology, and, and I want to say it's something between twenty five and 40,000 lives saved. Wow. Are, just clear cases where, it, just as you described, you, you're, for the first time ever, able to walk away from what in in 1960s sports car technology would have been, you know, taking a steering column to the chest. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Wow. Great technology. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, too. Very, very interesting. You know, that's what I love about having so many diverse guests here on Cars. Yeah, people from all walks of the automotive industry and definitely a very serious end of it with TRW and your time there and generating those airbags for uh, Huge company like Toyota is fantastic. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I like to call a career aha moment when the the headlights come on and illuminate your way for this new direction, this new idea that you had. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success. Okay, so the aha moment after restoring the coupe and, you know, I, I showed the car in a number of concours once and then started driving the car. But I wanted another restoration challenge and I with my brother Joe who's a, a very hardcore car guy we kind of came up with this concept of the you know the hot rodding one-on-one the, the smallest physical package the smallest BMW with not necessarily the most horsepower but a, a very you know very large powerful motor in a very small package and what we came up with was a 2002 the iconic the original sports sedan yes with a very high performance modern drivetrain and what we ended up with a twin turbo six cylinder 2002 and this is the car that paul kramer's familiar with mm -hmm. so i wanted the technical challenge so there ended there was two parts of this puzzle that so one of the technical challenges was, was to build a twin turbo motor and do all of that engineering exhaust plumbing and you know engine management and intake that was kind of a fun challenge and then the other part was to build a a car that had perfect weight distribution and that means moving the transmission to the back of the car in somewhat of a, tra a transaxle or you know what physically attaching the transmission to the wow the differential. Wow. so the this twin turbo project i built has a transaxle in it and the the puzzle for me or the challenge the fun part is how would bmw do it it's not that they would do it today the, these are antiques to the young engineers at bmw and the fizz their their engineering development center but doing it to an oem standard how would they do it so mm -hmm. kind of using only bmw parts built this transaxle and the the aha moment to your question was katrog is the manufacturer of a lot of bmw transmissions and yeah. the way they designed the transmission the, the shift selector shaft goes through the top of the transmission and the way they built this transmission was they basically gun drilled all the way through the transmission so you shift from the back of the transmission and that's where your linkage is but with the transaxle all of that shifting has to occur in front of the transmission so the aha moment was when i discovered that Gatrog had drilled all the way through the case and put a freeze plug just on the front of the transmission and 
with a little bit of fabricating, I could you know create a longer shift selector shaft and shift from the front of the transmission. <laughs> Very cool. That was the aha moment. Yeah. That was now we can successfully put the transmission in the back of the car and have real shift linkage, not some vague, all due respect to Porsche, but if you've ever driven an early 914, the, the shift linkage on those cars is shifting from the very, very back of the transaxle. And yep. it's I had one. Very yep. big. Yeah. So it, yeah, we think we've all had. Yeah. So that, that sensation of maybe I'm going into second, maybe it's fourth, you know? <laughs> yes. That, that was a pivotal moment that kind of made the car real and uh, it, uh, the car finished and you know it was a, it was a giant risk if it was going to be a you know a big vibrating exercise and sure. I got very lucky and it worked well, it's a really, really cool. In the ingenuity there that you um, tackled and overcame is really fantastic. It kind of reminds me a bit of my my dentist here in Gig Harbor. Uh, he took a e thirty m three years ago and put a corvette engine in it and and when you looked at the car, you'd never know it, except the exhaust pipe looked something a little different. Yeah. But of course, when you started it up, all the secrets were revealed. But he did a beautiful job installing that into the car with the transmission, making everything work and fit well and car handle well. And uh, That car's famous. Was it on eBay a couple of times? Uh, it could have been. It was a gray car. It was a metallic yep. gray car. Yeah, I let you hear in Gig mm-hmm. Harbor. It ended up going to somebody down in Oregon, I believe. The guy uh, took the train up and drove it home. But uh, he spent a lot of time, did it all in his garage, did a fantastic job with it. And the neat thing about it was when you looked at the car, it looked completely stock. You just wouldn't know. You know, there was no mods that kind of blemished the car in any way. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> your project sounds very, very interesting, very cool. Thank you. It, it was it was a blast to build, and it was definitely for Saturday mornings for cars and coffee, of the quickest way to empty your adrenaline gland. Oh gosh, I can only imagine. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. How about proudest career moments? Is there one in particular that stands out for you? You know, the serving Toyota was definitely one. I, I if I could slightly modify that question, I, I of would. Of course. My proudest moment. It, it, it's many moments, and and I've. I've worked with a lot of European engineers in automotive and in electronics, and it's a point of pride, you know, like something I haven't shared with in the past, but the successes with engineers and learning that their different approach, and this is engineers in Japan and France, Spain, mm-hmm. Germany. I, I currently work for an English sensor manufacturer. These guys are intensely passionate about position sensing and liquid level sensing and realizing and learning the differences in approach, the cultural differences in approach of design and having successes with those different cultures for me has been immensely rewarding. And, and the relationships that I'm you know, still in contact with, with these guys, it, that it, it's been a really, really fun journey. Yeah. And, and so we Many, many small moments, you know, there are small electronic components that go into a car or, or an off-highway vehicle, but uh, they're just like the cars. It, it's the, it ends up being the relationships and, and the shared passion with, with those guys. It always comes back to the people, doesn't it? But uh, it's really great and fortunate that you've selected a career path that has enabled you to meet so many interesting people from all over the world. And I think today we take for granted the incredible technology in these automobiles that we drive. Uh, just in our pre-show chat, we were talking about the the simplicity of the iPhone, but the technology levels in that little tiny device are just almost overwhelming <laughs> when we think about them. So, yeah, that's it's brilliant. 
I'd like to follow up on that one. Yes. And, and I'd, I'd like to acknowledge the kind of the unsung engineers in the automotive industry. And, and there are thousands of engineers, men and women, that are passionately designing the not too, you know, sexy parts of a car. And, yep. and if it's a window regulator or it's a door handle or a rear heat, you know, mechanism or a taillight, they are doing it with passion. And, yes. and the one thing I, I'd like to emphasize is the amount of engineering that goes into every one of those parts, the amount of testing and redesign, qualification and touring is mind-bending. How people, <laughs> people just can't, it's very hard to imagine that a table lamp assembly could be three, five thousand, three or five thousand hours of effort and, and, and hundreds of thousands of dollars in tooling and, yeah. and, and thousands of hours of testing before it ever gets on a car. And, and you multiply that by every part in the car, and, and you know, to your point about the iPhone, it's it's an incredible package for for not a lot of money. Really, when you think about it, it really is true. How about your first really special car? Did you maybe share a special memory you have of that vehicle? The first special car, yes. Uh, my first ground up restoration, I was uh, uh, in my. I was probably eighteen or nineteen. I bought a nineteen sixty six Jaguar. E-type drop head coupe. Nice. And uh, I think at the time, um, I I probably paid thirty five hundred dollars for the car. <laughs> yeah. And like all you know E-types in in the late middle seventies, they had been driven pretty hard, and it was a, it was a car that required a lot of maintenance, and and uh, it it turned that it was a four year restoration. So that was my first really special car that uh, nice that was a full restoration. Beautiful. Ah, I love those. I- I think I sent you a uh, picture of what started it for me was a Matchbox by yeah. Lesney Jaguar E-Type my dad bought me when I was five years old. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. And I think we're going to be talking about an E-Type in a few minutes here. So we'll save that one. <laughs> a little precursor to something coming up here. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? Yes. I, I, I've had a, a lot of cars, churned through a lot of cars in college to kind of, you know, help pay bills. And, and I generally don't get emotionally attached to cars. But the, uh, the E-Type, I finished in probably 1981. And uh, I just finished college. And someone offered me at the time, I, I had only 200 miles on the car. And those were basically just kind of test miles. And sure. someone offered me $21,000 for the car and you know, when, when you're young and I look like a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was, it was a lot of money. And I, you know, in hindsight, I, sh- my regret was I didn't drive and enjoy the car mm-hmm. as I had intended. I had four years of effort into it and somebody comes along and, you know, offers you a pile of money. And yeah, yeah. I took the money and, and I'm, you know, that, that money paid for a, a chunk of graduate school, which was probably much smarter than another car project. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I, yeah. Could it could so, have been, but you know, this is a nice little segue because I think we're going to talk about another Jaguar that maybe has crept its way into your life as far as current projects that excite you. So when you have buyer's or seller's remorse and, and 40, 35 years later. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Up, yeah. So there was a uh, E-Type fixed head coupe that was on eBay a year ago. Uh, and this car was about, I don't know, 60% done. And, and it was a you know, it was a partnership that that uh, had broken up, and they had to sell the project. 
partially assembled. So I, I bought the car. So my follow-up to that one is I'm going to finish the C-Type and uh, I'm going to drive the pants off of it. I so. hope so. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. The pictures yeah. you sent me, it looks like uh, it's a blue car and it looks like the engine's done perhaps? Uh, exactly. Opalescent silver blue metallic, the original color. So not leave, not one to leave factory engineering alone. This is a, uh, <laughs> a this is actually another modified car. But uh, this one, if there's any Jaguar Concorde judges in your audience, I, I would ask them to step away from the, the speakers. Nothing to see here. Step away. Move on to the next car. <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. Step away from the yellow yellow the ribbon. Nothing yeah. to see here. <laughs> so this is a Series Two Jaguar, which. Yep. Had a number 1970, very, very end of the run for the, the fixed head coupe that was not the 2 plus 2. And Jaguar had made a number of improvements in the car. You know, the cooling system actually worked. The, the seats reclined. It had synchros on four gears and had bigger brakes. So they, they made a lot of improvements, but to, to meet DOT requirements, the car had become... Uh, probably the kindest way to describe it is less handsome. So it lost its glass over headlights and the bumpers got bigger. Uh So Series 2 cars are not quite as cherished. So this car that I had purchased, they had visually converted the car back to Series 1. So this has the early bumpers, taillights, and glass over headlamps. So the the joke, the name for this car will be Series 2 minus 1. So it will... (laughs) It will have the visual appearance of a 66 E-type coupe, but with all of the mechanical improvements that the Jaguar had engineered. So it, it'll, again, all factory parts in that kind of gray zone to uh, either make the judges' heads scratch or to make them disgusted to ask you to leave, whatever. I think it's going to make the driver very happy, though. Hey, well, that's the goal, is, the, is a very large grin in every gear. These cars have very long legs, and I, Mark, I cannot wait to... Uh, get this thing out and drive it. A large grin in every gear. I think that's going to be a title of a future Cars yeah blog here, if I can borrow that from you. I like that a lot. That's very cool. Nice. Well, I can't wait to see the finished car. Sounds great. And uh, as far as a, a very introspective question here, before we get into the last lap, if you were a car, Paul, what mm-hmm. kind of car would you be and why? Well, I, I'm going to return to the 3.0 coupe. The car is very understated. It's kind of under the profile. It's not the, the tectonic shape of a lot of modern BMWs. To me, it looks more Italian. I love that shape because it's understated. And to me, it, it, unlike myself, uh, a coupe is perfectly proportioned from any angle. I, I think coupes are, are very attractive. So I would say it's aspirational. I, I would I like to be a, associated with something that is low-key and understated. That, you know, when, <laughs> when most people see it, they don't. it doesn't really connect. But for people that have a car passion, it, it stirs some emotion. And, and car people see it, and they're like, you know, wow, that's, you know, it's something different. They're very beautiful cars, and the greenhouse on those cars is so wonderful. I think that's part of it that that last pillar in the back there is just, C-pillar is just very delicate and quiet. Yeah, lovely, lovely yeah, cars. You, you've nailed it. So that that what that that car, you know, a, a 911 has many, many similar characteristics. They mm-hmm. have a fantastic driving position, uh, and the coupe has an excellent driving position, phenomenal visibility all the way around. Yep. Uh, the pedals are in the right spot. You know, it makes the right noise. So yes, all, when all those pieces come together, it's it, it makes for a fantastic weekend. Brilliant, love it. Well, Paul, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. 
If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Paul, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions. And I'm going to ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Yep. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Trust your instinct. (laughs) When you're looking at a car project to buy or to restore, trust your gut instinct at the beginning in in a good way or a bad way. It uh, has served me well. Yes. (laughs) Very important. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? I would say a relentless tenacity for completion. <laughs> yes, very important, especially the fields you worked in. When it comes to car restoration, there was a, a joke adage that we use locally. The, the restoration is 90% complete and only 50% remains. Oh, gosh, yes. How many times have I heard that? That last 10% is uh, the last 50%, definitely. Yeah. My passion is once the car is assembled, is that's really when the work starts. And getting everything to work together, that's that's the part that's the most rewarding. Ah, oh, yes. That's a great part. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners you think they would enjoy? Yeah, absolutely. This is a referral from my local car buddies, the, the inner circle of Orange County Restorers, that Project Binky. This is a, a YouTube series a couple of English fabricator engineers. These guys are very, very good at resto mods. They're they're putting a probably a mid nineties Toyota four wheel drive. Toyota Celica had a four wheel drive in the mid nineties. They are shrinking that package and putting it into an original mini. And they have a series of YouTube chapters. Their name is Bad Obsession Motorsport. And these guys use very good English dry humor, have excellent fabricating skills, and convey the the actual, to give you the visuals of the actual engineering required to correctly install a large drivetrain in a small car. So Project Binky, I I highly recommend it. I would recommend to your your listeners, start with episode one, and uh, I want to give you a full binge warning. There's uh, 11 episodes, and it's it's very hard not to binge. <laughs> very cool. Is that spelled B-I-N-K-Y? B-I-N-K-Y, Project Binky. If you just go on Google, it uh, pops up. Awesome. So, uh, really well done by these guys. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, I love that. How about a book? Is there one book in particular you think the Cars Out listeners would enjoy reading? Automotive Writing Role Model, hands down. Peter Egan. Ah, yes. And Side Glances. Ah, for yeah. your listeners that want extremely entertaining writing by someone who's really creative. I, I highly recommend Peter Egan, any of the books, you know, but, and, and that's really, you know, for enjoying, restoring and enjoying cars. I've got two other quick suggestions if you're open. Yes, please. A very interesting read. 2016 is going to be an extremely interesting year at Le Mans. 
Mm-hmm. Ford is going to put a full assault with their new Ford GT yes, up yes. against Ferrari this coming year. There's a book published in 1967, maybe 1968, called Ford versus Ferrari, mm-hmm. The Battle for Le Mans by Anthony Pritchard. Yeah. Fantastic. If, if, you're, if you like the incredible detail of what goes on in a race series and what version, which VIN number did what, it's an incredibly detailed read that ends in 1968 before the golf livery cars come on. So that's cool. a great read. Last one is a, as a reference book that uh, if you want to know about automotive technology, Mark, I went through each of uh, your interviewees, your alumni, and looked at the, the phenomenal reading selection that they had presented. But there's one on there that I did not see that I highly recommend. Okay. Bosch automotive handbook ah yes <laughs> yes <laughs> so this is on its ninth edition and if you want to know about anti-lock braking systems or the latest in windshield wiper motor technology it's good germanic reading it reads at a digestion rate of kind of like raw beef um, you <laughs> yes. have to reread the paragraph but it's a, a highly accurate great automotive technology reference guide. Uh, it's a great reference. You know, I, that book has sat on my desk for many, many years, and it's a go-to whenever you want some technical advice. It's a wonderful little book. It's just, it's small, fits in your glove box if you'd like. So those are all great recommendations. Thank you for those. And our listeners know that they can find all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Paul Kane. His last name is spelled C-A-I-N. And there's a great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books. You can go and see a listing of all the past guest books with quick, easy links to get your hands on these. And I would recommend you go there. All right, we are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, Paul, don't worry about the price because today I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? Simple. (laughs) <laughs> I, I love this question, and I have a, a walloping answer. Okay. Um, so cost no object, cannot sell the car, keep it forever. This is the criteria. Th- those are the rules. So the car is the McLaren F1, uh, 1995. Yes. Why? Because it is the most stunningly pure sports car. Yep. And my vantage point of the world that for 20 years after that car came out, it, it set the supercar designer scrambling back to elementary school. Yeah. Uh, well, you've, you've chosen an awesome vehicle there. Yeah, fantastic. I've never had the pleasure of even riding in one. I got to crawl around one and spend some time with them. Yep. And um, I remember being at Pebble Beach with my son when he was probably 12 years old, and this gentleman drove up in front of the lodge from Colorado, and his was covered in bugs. And he stepped out, mm-hmm. and I said, you drove this all the way from Colorado? Good for you, man. He goes, well, that's what they're for. Awesome selection. Well, Paul, you have taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed having you on the show. And for you sharing all your stories, I want to thank you. And could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in your McLaren F1? Jump in. Whatever car you like, jump in to that car, and and you will find like-minded souls and yes. and the the friendships that come from that shared passion is in, immensely rewarding so I, I think just jump in jump in i love it is there a good way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing my career is in kind of a you know this corner of sensor development so that uh, there's not a strong connection there but there are two uh, you know i i want to invite everyone to legends of the audubon 2016 yes 
and the, that event is, is quickly coming up. Um, Legends of the Autobahn is going to be on Friday, August 19th. It's a very, very important year for BMW. It's their 100th anniversary. Nice. And uh, in the you know, in the pre-release, there I can't go into detail, but there is going to be some phenomenal sports car, sedan, BMW history at Legends of the Autobahn from all decades, people, the factory, the caliber of cars that are coming to Legends and to Pebble Beach. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a very important year. Legends of the Autobahn is very, very accessible on the Monterey weekend and uh, would like to invite everyone to come out to Legends of the Autobahn on Friday. And, you know, the Pebble Beach Concourse is fantastic, but if that is not in your budget, I would also like to encourage people to come out and see the majority of the cars that are at Pebble Beach on the Tour de Elegance on Thursday, the 18th of August, coming up 2016. Cars that participate in the Concour, the majority of those cars go on on an extended drive down through Carmel, Monterey, and down towards Big Sur. And they come back into Carmel Carmel downtown and park and have lunch. And it's a fantastic way to kind of see the majority of the Pebble Beach cars that are, again, very accessible. So I would like to encourage people to come out and enjoy that. Most definitely. Great thing to do, too, is get up real early, go over by the old polo field and watch the cars line up and leave. And then, of course, uh, scurry on over and find a parking place in Carmel because it gets very busy and enjoy them coming into town and being able to walk around and see those cars. Great recommendation. Of course, Legend of the Audubon, awesome event. This year is going to be even better, and the nice thing is it doesn't cost a dime. So Exactly. <laughs> very yeah. nice. You don't hear that often on the Monterey weekend. So uh, No, very few things don't cost anything on that weekend. Well, listeners, you can find everything that Paul has been so kind to share with us today at CarsYeah.com. Just put Paul in the search bar, and his show notes page will pop right up. Paul, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and with the listeners. Until we talk again... I'll see you down the road. Thank you very much, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah. Yeah.